all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? I'm Rachel. And I'm David. And this is All Bad Things. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. And happy holidays. Yes. <laughs> Merry Christmas to those who celebrate. To all a good night. <laughs> happy Hanukkah. Yeah. Um, Kwanzaa. Kwanzaa. Festivus for the rest of us. Mm-hmm. See, that's a Seinfeld reference that I know. There you go. <laughs> that is the Seinfeld that's reference. That's one most people know. Yeah, <laughs> yes. You don't, you don't get bonus points for that one. Okay, fair enough. Follow us Insta X, Facebook, TikTok, Twitch, Blue Sky Threads at All Bad Things Pod. Email us allbadthingspod at gmail.com. Join our Facebook discussion, our subreddit, and our Discord. Do all... Facebook discussion group. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Do all of those things. <laughs> there we go. <sighs> Tis Christmas Day when this will be coming. Oh, I was going to say. <laughs> not, not I was right say now. it is. No. It's <laughs> December 22nd. Is I was going to say those is. last couple of days went by really fast. Yes. If it's already Christmas Day. To be a little bit of a bummer, it is the one-year anniversary of my grandpa dying. Yeah. So, 52 weeks ago now, I was driving south mm-hmm. to get to Florida. So, I'm glad that that's not what's happening this Christmas. Yes. Me too. Yes, I missed you last Christmas. That was a real bummer mm-hmm. of a holiday. Yeah. So, it's it was nice not that, fun. Yeah. It's nice that it's not that right now. Although, I know that it is for plenty of people. Because that's sometimes the holidays are just a big giant bummer. Well, it's funny, like, um, so uh, the Friends guy that died, what's it? Oh, Matthew, Matthew Perry. Matthew Perry, yeah. Um, I was reading a, th- or what's it? I was reading a thing, and then it went into a YouTube video. Mm-hmm. So apparently, like his character on Friends mm-hmm. uh, mirrored like a lot of his own like personal. Struggles growing up, like oh. I guess it's, I never really watched Friends. Yeah, I, don't I saw know that his character Chandler's background. Or yeah, anything. I mean I saw it here and there, but um, um, I guess like whenever they did their holiday episodes, like he was always his character was always kind of like the the Grinch a little bit. Okay, and it's because like in real life he didn't really grow up with a family. Oh, and holidays remind him of that's a time when other people get to be happy. Oh, that's and then like that it was like reading that was like really sad. That is really sad. Mm-hmm. So, Aww. yeah, yeah, well, so, but that's how it is for, I mean, is. uh, unfortunately, I think Thanksgiving and Christmas comparatively or Christmas might be a little, has the highest. Did you know that's a myth? No, I just read it the other day. It, I, I've seen it busted before. Oh, okay. it, it actually is. I think it's like warmer months when it, when it warms up is when it tends to, uh, which in the Southern hemisphere is closer to Christmas. But in the northern hemisphere, it's closer to the summer for us. So June-ish, yeah. What did you think I was gonna say? No. What do you mean? No, I was saying like the Christmas time and Thanksgiving time are when a lot of people. And I'm saying end, that I saw themselves. that myth busted. Oh, okay. That that's not necessarily true. No. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, who knows? <laughs> I guess that just goes to show who knows. Right. Well. But that will not be the case with this podcast today. Yeah. <laughs> this will be merry. Well. Or will it be? It will be... Merry-ish? Intense. Okay. We'll call it intense. Amazing. 
But there's a lot to go through to get to the amazing. Okay. And it is a miracle soda. And it is a miracle soda in the vein of everybody else dies except for one person. So there is a lot of tragedy. We've done that before. Yes. That was our, I think, the... Our first um, miracle soda. Yes, in Australia with the the um, avalanche. Mm-hmm. Yes. So this is in that vein. It is also a very well-known miracle soda or um, topic. A soul survivor topic, and I'm I'm curious to see if you are familiar with this at all. Okay. I heard uh, years ago, my favorite murder covered it, and I remember being really bummed out when they started covering disasters because I'm like, guys, you're are a crime even, show. Are they even a thing anymore? Yes, they uh-huh. are. A lot of people, myself included, have jumped ship because yeah. the quality really, my opinion, lots of people still love it, and that's wonderful, and I'm so happy for them. Um, to me. They started phoning it in a little bit. Yeah. And they continually do more and more disasters. And I'm like, guys, <laughs> That's you got racket. all these crimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then again, there like, are 10 million crime podcasts. So yeah. maybe, maybe they were just trying to be like, we got to do something different. Who knows? Maybe. We, we did go to go see them, though. Yeah. I, that was, it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And Karen Kilgariff still has one of my favorite voices in podcasting. I love her voice. I think it's amazing. But anyway... So, yeah, you, I don't know if you'll know this by the title, but I'll be interested to know if you know the topic. This is the story of Lanza Flight 508 and Juliana Kepka. Okay. Doesn't ring a bell. On Christmas Eve, 1971, so December 24th, 1971, Lanza Flight 508 was struck by lightning oh and crashed over the Amazon rainforest of That's Peru. Not- 91 of 92 people on board died in the crash, which remains the deadliest lightning strike plane crash disaster in history. Hmm. The sole survivor, 17-year-old Juliana Kepka, was rescued 11 days later in one of the most remarkable and well-known stories of plane crash survival. Yeah. We've talked a lot about about a lot of like sole survivor type situations. But 11 days in the Amazon rainforest is what we're going to just talk about. <laughs> so Not some place you want to be stranded for 11 days. No, but there is a lot working in this girl's favor, and we'll talk about that. Mm. So primary sources are the BBC, the Neo... <laughs> of all things, the Neotropical Ornithological Society. I don't think we will ever cite them again. Probably so. not. Well, <laughs> Give you never, them their due. Ornith- uh, the birds, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we you never know. We might. Maybe. The New York Times, Reader's Digest, Simple Flying, Wikipedia, and Wings of Hope, a 1998 documentary by Werner Herzog. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, the flight in question was operated by Linnaeus Arias Nacionales SA, which stands for Sociedad Anonima, kind of like an LLC here, not exactly, but it was known by its acronym LANSA. At the time of the crash, it was still a relatively young airline. It was founded in 1963 and based in Lima, Peru. Hmm. It established a fleet of Lockheed Constellations, or Connies, uh, four-engine propeller planes that would eventually become obsolete by the end of the decade, although they kept using Lockheed uh, aircraft. Yeah, I can't recall the last time I've seen a four-engine propeller plane. Mm. This is the 60s, you know. No, I know, that's what I'm saying, but even so, like... 
I don't even know if they still use, like anywhere on Earth still uses those. Well, you'll still you'll see you'll see the smaller like, like Cessnas and stuff, right? Yeah. Like two propeller planes, but a four propeller plane. It is certainly not something they use for airliners. Anymore. I know, <laughs> thankfully. Yeah. Um. So American carrier Eastern Airlines bought a third of Lanza stock in 1965, but Lanza bought it back the next year. Unfortunately, Flight 508 wasn't the first crash for Lanza wasn't even its second. On April 27th, 1966, a Connie flying en route from Lima to Cusco crashed into the side of a mountain 10 minutes after takeoff, killing all 49 people on board. That's not, that's not a small crash. That's no. almost 50 people. Um, it, it is worth noting that Lanza was not operating in the flattest part of the world. This is Peru. Peru contains large portions of these central Andes mountains, which makes flying a little challenging to say the least. We have also covered the challenges of weather (laughs) over the Andes, you know. Um, One of the places I would love to go is sort of like a bucket list type place is Machu Picchu, but it involves flying over this type of terrain, you know. It also involves quite a hike, too. Yes, and a lot of steps, as Mm -hmm. I understand, so... Initially, the plane was considered missing, but then obviously it was found. It's actually really hard to find information on the flight itself. It seems that eventually the consensus was that the cause of the crash was pilot error. Um, so this is that I think I said it. Yeah, that was 1966. The second crash is its own bad thing slash miracle sewed very much in the vein of 508. So we'll spend a moment here. So what with it being the second crash, it was appropriately, the other one was Flight 501. This is, oh, I didn't even mention that. The previous crash was Flight 501. This was Flight 502, Mm. which was taking the opposite route as 501. It was flying from Cusco to Peru. On August 9th, 1970, the Lockheed Electra was carrying a large number of Americans on board. So this made news in America quite a bit. Specifically, there were 49 high school foreign exchange students from Buffalo, New York. Oh, man. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Along with their student exchange, or sorry, along with their teachers, families, and guides. They were wrapping up a six-week visit to Peru as part of the International Fellowship Student Exchange Program. The plane was originally supposed to depart at 8.30 in the morning, but the student group requested that the time be pushed out. They had spent four days in and around Lima. They visited Machu Picchu and they wanted to visit the famous Pisac market before leaving. And so as a result, flight 502 didn't leave until 2.45 PM. And this is an actual picture of the kids boarding the plane. Mm. Spoiler alert, none of them are making it out. That's, wow. So this is probably the last picture ever taken of them. Yes. So, yeah, yeah, in this, 49 kids died, which is really horrible. Uh, So they they recovered the cockpit voice recorder afterwards, and it captured the pilot calmly requesting shortly after takeoff that the plane return to the airport because one engine was dead. So Mm. an engine went out almost instantly. They got the permission, they turned around, and then the pilot shouted, quote, we are going down, end Mm. quote. Flight 502 crashed a mile and a half shy of the runway. Uh, it crashed into farmland and two farm workers on the ground were killed. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Uh, as were 99 of the 100 people on board. The only survivor was 28-year-old captain, sorry, co-pilot, Juan Lu, 
who was badly burned but did eventually fully recover from his injuries. Mm. The investigation report, which was released on September 3rd, found several factors at fault for the crash. Lanza was found at fault for failing to properly maintain the engines, which, if they had properly done, it could have prevented the engine fire in the first place. They were also found at fault for the engine engine having, quote, exceeded the normal number of hours allowed by regulations, end quote. Mm. It was an old engine. Mm-hmm. Finally, the pilot was found partially responsible for having not properly handled the flight procedures for a disabled engine. All Lanza operations were suspended by the government for 90 days after this crash. I mean, this is not a good record. No. For a, a small regional airline it, that at this point had been in operation for six or seven years, had two crashes that killed uh, like 150 people. Already. Yeah, that's a lot. The third and final crash in the history of Lanza is Flight 508. So on December 24th, 1971, Flight 508 left Jorge Chavez, Chavez sorry, International Airport in Lima, bound for Iquitos via Pucaipa. So, little geography corner. Little, little dalliance into geography corner. So Peru is... Well, I know it's in South America. It is, is in it South America. South of Argentina or above it? It's above it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just above it, right? It borders Argentina, right? Ooh, now you're getting... <laughs> I didn't look at it that closely. I think it, it does. might. I think it might. Or is it Chile? Anyway. Or both. Or, I don't it, It's there. It's in, South, <laughs> it's in South America. It is in South America, yeah. On the west coast of South, South America, kind of centralish. And like most South American countries have had periods of... Uh, being destabilized. Oh. And, <laughs> We're and, not getting it, yeah. even getting into political no. corner here. No, no but like, not but at like all. most South America, it's, it goes back and forth right. between They're... being somewhat normal and somewhat crazy. I mean, you could say the same thing of America. Oh, although for sure. I'm not sure we ever have hit somewhat normal. But <laughs> there you go. So, um, so yes, uh, Peru's on the west coast of South America. Lima is on the central coast of Peru. It's the capital, I think. Or it is. I didn't, yes, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pucaipa is in the central part of the country, in the middle of the Amazon rainforest. So basically, you have the Andes along the coast of Peru, and mm-hmm. then the Amazon to the interior mm-hmm. of it. Um, and then Iquitos is in northern Peru, also in the Amazon. Now, for broader context. I think in America we've all heard about the Amazon rainforest and specifically deforestation in mm-hmm. the Amazon and all that, right? Sure. But it's hard to describe how gigantic it's, the Amazon really huge. is. Yeah. Yes, it takes up the bulk of the northern part of South America, including the majority of per- Peru and Bolivia, the northwest part of Brazil, southern parts of Venezuela and Colombia, and all of Guyana, Suriname, and French Guiana. So if you okay. look at wow. A map, the green is the Amazon. Yeah, that's crazy. It's huge. Yeah. Also, like, the most diverse ecosystem on Earth. Yes. Incredibly, incredibly so. That's why one of the many reasons it's so important Mm -hmm. to, like, the world's ecosystem, to the planet's ecosystem. (laughs) You can't make money off diversity. (laughs) Fuck that rainforest. Tear it down. (laughs) Ah, of course, um... Even with very legitimate concerns regarding its deforestation, and remember, this story was from 52 years ago, so even though that was still a concern, oh, it just wasn't a, to imagine, this imagine what it is now. now. Right? Mm-hmm. 
Um, but it is 2.7 million square miles in area, or about 7 million square kilometers. <clears throat> it has a, a picture works much better. Right. <laughs> yeah, like you can't, can't fathom that. It has an estimated 390 billion trees. I mean, that's in crazy. In the Amazon alone. Yeah. Every 10,000 square meters of rainforest in the Amazon houses an estimated 1 billion invertebrates. So that's, okay, that's bugs that's, and shit. Yeah. It also houses jaguars, cougars, yep. anacondas, electric eels, piranhas, poison dart frogs, and vampire bats, just to name a few. I was going to I was going to the for whatever reason, when you started discussing the rain, it was the poison dart frog that popped mm-hmm. out of my mind for some reason. The also, poison- also other uh, venomous snakes are in there too. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I just named a few. Yeah. <laughs> the poison dart frog, interestingly, makes a little cameo in uh, the Wings of Hope documentary. We can talk about that later. But what? two Lanza flights were scheduled to take off Christmas Eve. But one of the planes was basically grounded for maintenance, and so it got canceled. <laughs> At least they're maintaining that one. <laughs> right? And only one flight could take off, Flight 508. Those who were on that flight were happy to not have to spend Christmas in an airport, thought of themselves as the lucky ones. Mm. Yeah. So 86 passengers and six crew members boarded Flight 508, a Lockheed Electra turboprop airliner. The first half hour or so of the flight was uneventful. Flight attendants served lunch to the passengers, but then soon thereafter, flying at an altitude of about 21,000 feet, clouds began to gather and the flight experienced strong turbulence due to thunderstorms. It's not called a rainforest for nothing. Correct. (laughs) Instead of changing course or altitude, the pilots decided to continue the route as planned, Reportedly because they were under pressure to stay on schedule so close to Christmas. Mm. Passengers got increasingly nervous as they felt the turbulence. There were flashes of lightning that were visible. Um, Luggage and Christmas presents started falling out of the overhead bins. That's never a good sign. No. As it continued flying through the storm, the plane was suddenly struck by lightning. Mm. Now, a quick diversion, (coughs) if you will. Lightning and planes. Let's talk about it. It happens. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it happens all the time. Yeah. That's the thing. As it stands now, 52 years after this Later. plane crash, lightning is really not much of a threat to the planes we fly today. It's really common for planes to get struck by lightning, typically when taking off or landing, because it tends to happen at lower altitudes. The National Weather Service estimates that each plane in service, on average, gets hit once or twice a year by lightning. It's basically a daily occurrence. The lightning usually strikes a part of the plane that's sticking out like its nose, the tip of a wing, um, and the fuselage of the plane is designed to absorb the voltage, absorb Mm -hmm. that energy. uh, And that's how our modern planes are designed, and various mechanisms like lightning mesh and static rods are used to decrease the impact of a lightning strike. There's a man on the (laughs) wing of this plane! (laughs) So while things did He's not in a bear suit, <laughs> while things did not turn out well for Flight Five Hundred Eight, a lightning strike isn't really something that now we need to be. I was going to say thinking I, about or spending. Energy. Well, my and you'll probably get into this, but my speculation on a lightning strike at this time, as I'm going to guess, it probably fucks up like all of the electrics, That's electronics, a good guess. and it may have, but the, there was a bigger problem. Oh, okay. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, the problem was it struck the right wing and caught it on fire. Oh. And then it fell off the plane. Oh. That's That was the bigger issue. <laughs> yeah, slightly. <laughs> you know... So the plane literally broke apart Jesus, as it fell to earth. Yep. Crashing into the Amazon rainforest southwest of Pukaipa. Not fun. Just to reiterate that, the plane fell apart midair mm. over the Amazon rainforest. Yeah. Now at this point, I'm going to do a little bit of the record scratch. I bet you're wondering how I got here <laughs> for Juliana Kepka. <laughs> so we're going to talk about Juliana. So if you had to guess, based on Juliana Kupka's name, where do you think she's from? Uh, I would guess Brazil. Okay. No, but <laughs> Juliana Margaret Biete Kepka was born on October 10th, 1954. So she was 17 at the time of the crash. And you may not be able to tell by her name, but Juliana was, in fact, born in Lima. She's from Peru. Okay. Now, we've talked about, at some length, of the history of people from Germany ending oh, up sure. in South America for various reasons, both yeah. Nazi and non-Nazi related. I'm happy to report it does not appear that Juliana's parents were of the Nazi variety. Oh, were, okay. were of Nazi descent. They, they, were, they were the non-Nazis, <laughs> as far as I can tell. So... Juliana's parents were Maria Emiliana von Miklitz Redecki, so her married name was Kepka, obviously, and Hans Wilhelm Kepka. So both Maria and Hans Wilhelm were born in Germany. Both attended the University of Kiel, where they met and where both earned their doctorate degrees. <clears throat> so the top picture is Maria and then the two of them together. Okay. Okay. So she's 17 and married? No, that's Maria. Oh, okay. These are her parents. Oh, These are Juliana's parents, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because they're they're remarkable people and a big part of why she survived, so. Um, Maria, so they're both PhD holders, right? These are smart people, university educated. Maria specialized in ornithology. She completed her PhD thesis on domestic doves. And Hans Wilhelm had held kind of broader interests in zoology, ornithology, and herpetology. And his thesis was on wood lice. Hmm. So. <clears throat> in late 1948, Hans Wilhelm was offered a job at the San Marcos National University in Lima's Museum of Nat- Natural History. Now, in 1948, it was difficult for Hans Wilhelm to get, or any other kind of average Germans, to get visas in other countries. Right? This is post-war, really recent post-war Germany. And, well, and we're still in the middle of the Cold War, too. Yes, and unless you're getting smuggled out by the United States because you're a Nazi mm-hmm. who can yeah. be helpful to NASA, you know, ahem, ahem, uh, it's, it's hard to get out. So Hans Wilhelm had to smuggle himself to South America by stowing away on a transatlantic say, yeah, yeah. He then traveled by foot, was arrested, spent time in an Italian prison camp, then finally got out, stowed away again in a cargo ship, finally got to Peru. It took, took him like two years. Jeez. He shows up at the museum and they're like, uh, well, we, you didn't show up. We filled your position. <laughs> yeah, you're two years late. <laughs> For 
unfortunately, <laughs> he he persisted, and they did give him a job. So. <laughs> Hans... Yeah, all he had to tell him was like, do you know what I've been through? Right. <laughs> do you know why I'm two years late? I bet you're wondering how I got here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hans Wilhelm described Peru as a, quote, wonderful country to Maria, and she joined him there where they were married in either 1950 or 1951. Sources differ. Maria also began working at the museum where she became head of the bird and mammal section in 1952. They were both pretty high up in their Parts of, yes, in their fields and in the museum. Maria discovered multiple species and, along with Hans Wilhelm, explored the lush Peruvian landscape, making important zoological discoveries and engaging in conservation work along the way. These were two talented, kind of groundbreaking scientists. Uh, Maria and Hans Wilhelm turned their house in Lima, called Casa Humboldt, into something of like a field station. So scientists performing research in Peru were allowed to lodge there in between, you know, their various field sites in the Andes or the Amazon, where they could share discoveries and ideas with other scientists, including the Kepkas. And this is in the envi- the environment in which Juliana was born, to two incredibly intelligent, well-educated, adventurous parents whose lives were dedicated to the study and conservation of the vast and varied nature of her home country. This is a picture of Juliana with her mother when she was a kid. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's in the middle of the rainforest. Just chilling. Maria's got her gun. And binoculars. Uh Two things you would need in the rainforest. Yep, protection and observation. And uh, Juliana said that she, she was very, very close to her mother. And we'll find out why it's a past tense. Um, in 1968, Maria and Hans Wilhelm founded the Panguana Biological Research Station in the Amazon, where they moved with then 14-year-old Juliana. This is an aerial view of Panguana. Okay. Wow. It's like all forest. Yes. This is much. the rainforest. This yeah. is in the rainforest. Yeah. This is in the. This is the Amazon. Amazing. Yes. And a road. Yeah, and, and there's, I think that was a, actually a river. Is that what that was? Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, okay, mm-hmm. Jesus, good talk. <laughs> yeah. Juliana was homeschooled for two years in the middle of the Amazon rainforest, receiving both, like, textbook in the mail type of education and exceedingly practical education, learning how to survive and thrive in the Amazon. Eventually, Peruvian education authorities insisted she go back to to traditional school, and when she did, uh, she attended the Deutsche School Lima Alexander von Humboldt in Lima. Clearly, there are a lot of German people in Peru. (laughs) While growing up at the field station, Panguana, an an incident occurred that would stick with Juliana and prove a valuable lesson. An American team of researchers was in the Sierra Mountains about 30 miles or 48 kilometers upstream from the station. And the leader, this is the mo- in the most American thing ever, the leader of the team accidentally shot himself in the leg. The hell? Okay. Yes. I don't know how that happens, but apparently it did. Uh, they needed to send for help, so they sent, like, one of their youngest, like, most strongest men to, to go get help. He very quickly got lost. This is the fucking Amazon rainforest, right? Then he did the one crucial thing that he did need to do to find civilization again. He followed a small spring until it reached a larger river, followed the river downstream, and ended 
up reaching the research station in a couple of days. Hmm. So um, that will become very important to Juliana in a little bit in our story. In December 1971, Juliana and Maria were in Lima as Juliana prepared to graduate from high school. Maria wanted to get back to Panglana a few days before Christmas, but Juliana, understandably, she wanted to stay long enough to attend her prom on December 23rd because she's like, this is an important milestone and rite of passage. So here is a picture of the, this is the day before the plane crash. Juliana graduating and with who I'm assuming is her prom date. Who poor kid needs to learn how to smile properly. <laughs> yeah. The, just too much teeth. It's, you know people who don't know how to smile naturally and they just like one of my one of my somebody I went to high school with like their nine or ten year old daughter like when I see her smiling <laughs> it's like the funniest damn thing because it's like. Either it looks like it's forced or she doesn't know how to do it or it looks painful like all at the same time. It's like, she's like. (laughs) It's like a grimace. Yeah. It's like, like, do you not know how to just naturally smile? But I guess, maybe. Take take it from Ron DeSantis. He knows how to do it. (laughs) 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 That's laughing. I'm talking about just him smiling. He can't do it. But his laugh is pretty terrible, too. (laughs) Like all of him is pretty terrible. (laughs) That's true. So, so Maria agreed to stay so that Juliana could go to her prom and everything. And then they found that one flight to Pacaipa on Christmas Eve that still had room. Lansa Flight 508. Mm. So they were really happy that they found a flight home in time for Christmas. But they were both still anxious about boarding because they knew Lansa's reputation. This, this oh, was not yeah, sure. a reliable airline, right? They knew about these two other crashes. But they boarded. It's no, it's no Qantas. <laughs> no. Juliana had a window seat on the right side of the plane with a view of the right wing. And her mother sat beside her. At one point, Maria said to Juliana, quote, Hopefully this goes all right. End quote. <laughs> That's not, uh, not exactly like the most... Uh, Vote of confidence. Yeah. Yeah. Juliana is the... Hopefully the the plane doesn't come apart in (laughs) midair. Well, Juliana is the only reason we know about the turbulence, the lightning strike, everything. She's the one who witnessed it all. Um, She's the one who saw the the presents flying everywhere. She also remembers her mother saying, quote, this is the end. End quote. Which presumably is the last thing she remembers about her mother. As the plane fell apart over the Amazon, Juliana recalls, quote, all of a sudden, I was outside the plane. I was suspended in midair, still in my seat. Jesus. Yes. It was not so much that I had left the plane, but rather that the plane had left me. End quote. Isn't that terrifying? That is crazy. Uh, still strapped to her row of seats, Juliana spiraled to the rainforest floor. Her seat belt was like cutting off her ability to breathe. Sure. She lost consciousness as she fell. And her last recollection was the sight of the trees below. She said it was, quote, like broccoli, end hmm. quote. Which yeah. I, you can imagine, like, from the top, right? So Lanza Flight 508 broke apart over an area of about nine square miles, or 15 square kilometers. It really broke apart. It went everywhere. In, again, the Amazon rainforest south-southwest of Pucaipa. Astonishingly, Juliana survived the fall. 
estimated to have been about two miles or 3.2 kilometers. Yeah. Yuliana, herself a scientist, which we'll discuss more later, suspects that her survival had to do with, like, the aerodynamics of the fall. Uh, She thinks that, like, strong updrafts from the thunderstorm, which happens naturally, maybe, like, slowed down the descent. Her position in the row of seats. She said that, you know, the seats were spiraling. She she um, likened it to those little helicopter seedlings for mm-hmm. a maple. Yeah. Like that, which could have slowed, again, kind of slowed it. And then she theorizes that the trees kind of broke her fall, or sure. at the very least, like, slowed. Oh, yeah. Now, that's not to say... That she landed softly. No, I mean, you're coming in freaking hot <laughs> oh, from, yes. uh, from three miles in the air. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, now, before I go further, because we're going to talk about how she got through all of this, it's important to note that there are a few little, in I want to call them contradictions or inconsistencies, but just little details that shift depending on the story, um, depending on the source material. They're, like, really generally insignificant things don't change the story at all, but I figured I'd mention it in case anyone has heard slight variations of some of this. Um, also, we'll find out very soon how it might be that Yuliana has like some conflicting recollections or changing recollections of what happened. And it's also important to note that from what I can tell, Yuliana speaks German and Spanish, and anything I was reading was a translation into English, right? So mm. there could be issues with translation as well. So when Yuliana regained consciousness, it was Christmas morning. She was out the whole night. She found herself under the row of seats in the mud on the rainforest floor, completely soaked. Mm-hmm. She theorized that it rained. It is, again, the rainforest mm-hmm. that it rained overnight. She struggled to get up. She suffered. She had suffered a major concussion. Uh, one of her eyes was swollen shut. And the other was quite swollen. Mm. She also had lost her glasses and was nearsighted. So it was difficult for her to see all all told. At all. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. She was wearing one sandal and a mini dress. This is 1971. And in the Southern Hemisphere where it's the summer. So, (laughs) and she was 17. So yeah, she was wearing a little mini dress, you know, and sandals that she only got to keep one of in the garage. Yuliana's collarbone was broken on the right side. It did not poke out through her skin, but she could tell that the bones were overlapping. Oh, God. The parts of the bone were overlapping Mm -hmm. under the skin. And she had a bad cut on her arm and a bad gash in her left calf. She was completely alone. She couldn't see anyone around her, um, including her mother. Her mother, who had been strapped in the seat next to her, was... She never found... Or she never saw her. As she was looking around. Um, When she looked up to the trees, she realized that there was, like, no sight of broken branches. Everything looked just like a regular canopy. And she's like, shit, if somebody's looking from up top, they're not going to see, right? (laughs) Yuliana managed to scrounge up a couple of food items from the crash site. A bag of candy and a Christmas cake. From what I can tell, it's like one of those panettone cakes, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, The cake ended up being soaked through with mud, so she just left it behind. Uh, But she did, she said later she uh, she should have taken it along with her because that was basically her only option other than the candy. And she did not know how long she was going to be wandering around the Amazon, you know. 
At one point, Yuliana encountered the only other occupants of the plane she ever saw. Three dead women, passengers, still strapped in their row of seats. They had fallen, like, face first, so she could basically only see their feet. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, okay, uh, she never saw her mother again. Yeah. So... Some sources say that as many as 14 people may have initially survived the crash, but died before they could be found. From what I can tell, there's no evidence that people, like, tried to do what Yuliana did, like, go find help, basically. So my guess, and this is all speculation, is that they were, like, catastrophically hurt. Yeah. So that they were Or they couldn't walk or... Yeah. They yeah. were... That maybe if somebody had gotten to them in that exact moment, they could have survived, but otherwise there was not a survival, so... Um, and for her part, Yuliana never found any survivors. So, so that's the bummer part. <laughs> not, not great Say for 91 people. So after initially being like massively dazed and kind of wandering around the crash site a bit, uh, Yuliana realized that she heard a steady trickle of water and that Good. made her remember... That story about the guy who followed the river. Well, you want to find that anyway, mm-hmm. just so you can have water. That's true. <laughs> but, but also, yes. settlements are near navigate. waters, right? Yes. People, yes, they are. Even, <clears throat> people even will be by water at some anywhere point. Anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. Every major city in the world, what's next to it, pretty much. A water, a water source. source. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. There are very few cities that are built like, you know... Not near a water source mm-hmm. or, or major you know, developments. Right. So Yuliana realized, and this very smart of her, she's like, I can't just stay here and hope somebody's going to find me. No, she's got to move. She, I, she's like, I have to find my way out of mm-hmm. here. So she set out in her one sandal and like her half shredded mini dress. Her concussion actually ended up helping her out. It like fogged up her brain to like a specific extent where she was able to focus on like follow the water using her skills from knowing how to deal with the Amazon, but it like blocked out the rest of it, which would have been like freak out. The shit, trauma. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is a moment where you need to not be traumatized, right? You need to just do it. It's like, it's never, well, it, it's almost never a good idea to bury your emotions. This might be the one exception. <laughs> well, plus that's also, plus your brain goes into survival mode as well. Yes. Uh-huh. So, yeah. you know, that's part of your, mm-hmm. um, what am I trying to say? Like, uh, like when you get like a severe injury, mm-hmm. like sometimes you can't feel it because your brain's mm-hmm. like, we're going to reroute this pain into numbness. Or... We, we need to not feel this right now so you can yeah. survive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the yeah. same, same kind of. Mm-hmm. situation yep so she found a spring of water right uh so the spring led to a creek and she continued to wade through the creek hoping you know like this and of course she's following the flow of water right mm-hmm. she's like sure hoping this is gonna lead to a larger source of ro- of water like a big river on the third day this is remember it was 11 days later she was found. Yeah. So this is this goes on for days. On the third day, she came across one of Flight 508's engines. Mm. So she's like seeing this shit as she's going. 
But that day she also heard the distinct call of a specific type of bird. And this is one of the details that changes a lot depending on the source, like what the species was. I'm just leaving it out. It was just a bird call. Now, this girl's mom was an ornithologist mm -hmm. who helped raise her in the middle of the Amazon. No one else would have known what this fucking bird call was, right? No. She recognized it as being a type of bird that was around bodies of water. Hmm. That they tended to, to gather around rivers. So she was like, I, I know I need to follow this bird call because they're going to be around a river. So she instantly took off in the direction of the birds. Sure enough, she came across a much larger river. But... She was, had initially hoped, like, okay, a river and maybe also people, but the river was, like, barely navigable. It was really clear that, like, no, I'm still in the middle of nowhere, but I'm in the middle of a river in the middle of nowhere, mm -hmm. at least, right? So, as you can imagine, wandering around the Amazon rainforest for days, suffering a concussion, a broken collarbone, and bad cuts was not a pleasant or particularly safe endeavor, Yuliana said she was not hungry at all. So that's just her body shutting down, basically, mm -hmm. right? And other than the candy, which lasted maybe a few days, she didn't eat anything. Mm -hmm. She was able to find plenty of water, which is good. That's so she the main thing. It is very important. She yeah. was able to stay hydrated. Um, she was also being absolutely eviscerated by mosquitoes and sure. other bugs. I will never set foot in the Amazon because I would become... One gigantic mosquito bite. Yes, That's exactly would. what would happen. Yeah. Know that. There's not enough deet in this world for me to go through the Amazon. So, um, now, uh, trigger warning for semi-body horror type stuff here. Um, very disturbingly, an open wound on her arm was becoming not only infected, but infested with larva. Hmm. And then maggots hatched and started burrowing their way down into her arm. So, yeah, that was super fun. Of course, bugs weren't the only wildlife that Yuliana encountered. As she waded down the river, she saw many pairs or trios of caiman, mm -hmm. which is a reptile yep. akin to an alligator or crocodile. It's a, basically a small version of it. Yeah. Um, and as she would pass, they would instantly jump into the water, like, after her. Um, but unlike probably virtually any other human, Yuliana was not afraid. She had plenty of information about the wildlife of the Amazon, including the fact that these caimans didn't pose a threat to her, that they weren't coming after her. They were afraid of her and were mm -hmm. hiding in the water. Yes, they're very skittish. Mm -hmm. Yuliana also knew that her biggest threat wading through the river were, any guess, it's what do you think the most dangerous thing, according to Yuliana, in the um, rivers of the Amazon. Uh, well, probably piranha. Interestingly, if water flow, as she said in this documentary, if water is flowing, piranhas are harmless. Okay. Which is interesting. Stingrays. I did not know the Amazon had stingrays, yeah. but they do. It's got everything, I guess. <laughs> it, this has everything. <laughs> exactly. Um, she called stingrays, quote, the really dangerous animals of the jungle. Hmm. Quote. Really? Yeah. I mean, I trust this lady. She knows what she's yeah. talking about. So she would walk with a large stick that she would like poke along the sure. bottom in front of her to make sure there wasn't a stingray in front of her. 
At night, Yuliana had to find a way to shelter herself, uh, usually propped up against a tree trunk, covering herself with leaves. On the nights it rained, the rain was really cold. She said it felt like needles hitting her skin. Mm. But when it didn't rain, she got eaten by mosquitoes, so it was a you-can't-win situation. And as we can all probably like, not even uh, really imagine... What Yuliana did was nearly impossible from both a physical and mental standpoint. She was 17 years old, barely clothed, injured and infested, not eating. She got sunburned so badly they would turn into second degree burns. Oh, jeez, yeah. She was wading through a river for days on end after having been through a horrifically traumatic incident. As the days wore on, she said she found herself feeling increasingly aimless. Yeah, can can understand. Mm-hmm. Her brain was having a hard time hanging on to any thoughts after a while. And yet, somehow, she managed to stick to the river. She said sometimes she walked, sometimes she just kind of, like, floated. Mm-hmm. And because it, this was her literal only hope for surviving. On the evening of January 3rd, Yuliana sat on the river, on the riverbank, bank of this river that she was walking through and dozed off. She said she was really out of it by this point. She kind of woke up and then she slowly realized that she was looking at something in front of her and that it was a boat. Hmm. So knowing that where there are boats, there are people, mm-hmm. Yuliana found a small path leading up the embankment of the river. The embankment was not particularly high or steep but she was so weak she could barely it took her forever to crawl up this embankment on all fours she was rewarded by finding a hut with a plastic tarp where she crawled in for the night yuliana was on the bank of the rio shaboyna the pangwana field station she and her mother had been trying to reach on christmas eve was about 30 miles away Jeez. yeah On January 4th, 1972, three lumber workers, or fishermen, again, sources vary, found Yuliana in the hut. Hmm. Obviously, she was pretty terrifying to look at in her state, and she had to tell them, quote, I'm the girl who was in the Lanza crash. My name is Yuliana. And, of course, she spoke fluent Spanish, so she was able to communicate. communicate. They poured gasoline into her wounds to try and kill those maggots. Mm -hmm. And took her on a boat to sail to a village where she was then flown to Pukaipa to a missionary hospital where her injuries were treated. And she was also reunited with her father. She said, quote, he could barely talk. And in the first moment, we just held each other. Sure. End quote. And this poor guy's lost his... She's lost, lost her wife. mom. Yeah. He, he's lost his, his wife and, like, business partner, too. That's Juliana and her dad. Oh, wow. Hansville yeah. home. I think she's in the hospital. There. Yeah, that's what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this crash fortunately spelled the end of Lanza. <laughs> yeah, let's not have it. Let's let's not have another one. <laughs> like, please, shall we? They now had three high casualty crashes under in its less belt. than ten years. Eight years of operation. Yeah. yeah. Part of the reason was that the Lockheed Electra, now in pieces in the Amazon, was their last fully operational plane. So they stopped operating once it crashed. Um, <laughs> They're like, well, the last one we had crashed, so, so I guess we got to fold up. <laughs> on the day Yuliana was found, on January 4th, 1972, Peruvian authorities are like, okay, we are pulling your license. Yeah. You are not operating anymore. And they never operated again. Good. So, yeah. Good. 
Now, I didn't discuss rescue efforts during that whole story because Yuliana, the only survivor of the crash, wasn't rescued by those rescue efforts, but by local people who found her, right? But of course, there was an intense search and rescue effort. At several points, Yuliana said she heard the sound of plane engines overhead, but she couldn't see up through the canopy. They couldn't see down to her, so... After she was found, Yuliana ended up helping rescuers find the crash site. So they were okay. able to recover to bodies that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's amazing that she was able to retrace where she'd gone. It, it is, or at least like home in on it, right? Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, as we know, the remaining 91 people aboard Flight 508 had all died. Maria was found on January 12th. Oh, so they did find her. They did find Maria. Uh, they That's did find weird. Maria, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yuliana has said that Maria was one of the initial survivors who died several days later. Mm. Uh, so, you know the saying, if you're you know if you're thrown from a horse, you have to get right back up on that horse kind of a thing? Well, unless you're Christopher Reeve. <laughs> don't, don't think he got right back up on that horse. <laughs> That's funny but terrible. Well, I mean, sometimes falling off a horse could paralyze you. He's not, well, yes. He's uh-huh. not the first person that happened to you. Anyway, the point is, poor Yuliana had to get back into a plane pretty soon after the crash. She flew to Germany with her father to figure fi- finish yeah, out her recovery. There's a, a ways to go. Yeah. Obviously, her story I'm was... there were jet engines on that, on that plane. <laughs> right, not, not propellers. propellers. Obviously, her story, this is 1971. This is a huge news story when it happened, right? Um, The girl who fell two miles and survived was like... Well, that, I mean, plane crashes just in general are big stories Mm -hmm. because they they don't happen that often. Mm -hmm. And then to have somebody somehow survive the fucking Amazon rainforest. Yeah. Which even here, if you're a seasoned person... Even if you're Yuliana, who is as close to right. an expert as possible. Can still kill you. There's yes. many things in the Amazon rainforest that can kill you. And if she, any number of missteps could have killed her. Yeah. Like just, or or just those, those, fish, those lumber workers or fishermen didn't yeah. show up that day. I mean, there's a number of If things. she doesn't make it to the top of that embankment. Right. I mean, who, who knows? What if like it had uh, been a Sunday and they weren't working so they yeah. didn't go to the hut? You know, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, but yeah, this is this is a picture of Yuliana in the Amazon after the crash. Okay. In nineteen seventy four, a movie was made about her survival that is widely panned, including by Yuliana herself, who mocks it openly. <laughs> it's like a made for TV movie, yeah, probably. Bit, yeah. It was an Italian movie, I think, sure. Yuliana went on to attend the University of Kiel, where both of her parents had attended and met. Um, her parents being who they were, it's no big shock that she studied biology. <laughs> so despite their relocation to Germany, Juliana and Hans Wilhelm remained attached remained attached to their home in Peru. Together, they lobbied the Peruvian government to protect Panguana, like con- conserve it, make it a conservation area. When Juliana moved on to her graduate work, she proved that she was not afraid to return to the Amazon. She has said, quote, the jungle caught me and saved me. It was not its fault that I landed there. End quote. <laughs> Very healthy viewpoint. Yeah. She returned to Peru to study diurnal butterflies for her graduate thesis, then went on to the subject of bats, her specialty mm. as a mammologist for her doctoral thesis. <clears throat> she said, quote, 
On my lonely 11-day hike back to civilization, I made myself a promise. I vowed that if I stay alive, I would devote my life to a meaningful cause that served nature and humanity. End quote. In 1989, she married Eric Diller, an epic match for her in every way, because he is an entomologist. So, another mm. cute, nerdy, science couple who I'm sure have just a wonderful life together. His specialty species is parasitic wasps. Mm, sure. Mm-hmm. And Juliana now goes by Dr. Juliana Diller. Okay. Now, present at Jorge Chavez International Airport on Christmas Eve 1971 was a 27-year-old German filmmaker named Werner Herzog. Oh, he, he was, was at oh, no the airport kidding. scheduled for the other flight that got canceled no for Lanza. Mm-hmm. He was in Peru getting ready to start filming his 1972 feature, Aguirre, Wrath, The Wrath of God, uh, that was filmed in the rainforest. Um, feeling a strong sense of a disaster averted, Herzog letter, later met Juliana and made the 1998 made-for-TV documentary Wings of Hope, available on YouTube, fully free, huh. about her story of survival. <clears throat> in the movie, they return to the crash site, including Juliana, with, with Werner Herzog and his crew, they find many pieces of the plane really? during the course of the documentary. Well, yeah, because I'm, sh- I'm mm-hmm. guessing there's not much of a they, recovery they that you're going like to do. They did not recover it. No. Yeah. This is Juliana by an emergency exit Jeez. from the plane in the middle of the Amazon. Mm. And I recommend... Okay, Wings of Hope is a little arty. I think that's because it was Werner Herzog. So sometimes I'm like, Werner, come on, pick up the pace here a little bit. He's getting, he gets a little, let me focus in on this log kind of, you know, filmmaker, our tour or whatever. But she's really interesting to watch in the documentary. And he even notes, like, they're in the middle of the Amazon. She's got fly, uh, she's got mosquitoes all over her. She's just like, like, it doesn't phase her. So mm-hmm. this is, and she traipses around. This is somebody who like, this is where she grew up. She is so clearly comfortable in this environment. And that is what saved her, right? Mm -hmm. Any other person couldn't have survived this, basically. Maybe her mom, you know, if her mom hadn't had catastrophic injuries, her mom may have been able to, or her dad, but that's about it. Hans Wilhelm died in November 2000 at the age of 86, and Juliana took over her father's post at Pamwana, becoming the research center's director. So she still runs the center that her parents founded. As director, she has successfully secured the area's status as a private conservation area and expanded it to 4,000 acres, so it's much bigger okay. than it used to be. Scientists worldwide still study at Panguana, making important discoveries and publishing scientific works about its flora and fauna. In 2021, Juliana was given the Order of Merit of the Federal Republic of Germany, so it's the only federal like medal or decoration honor that uh, the country gives. Juliana said, quote, this is a great, extraordinary honor and a significant recognition and confirmation of our work, end quote. Work that continues to this day because 52 years ago, Juliana was saved by the Amazon rainforest, leaned into its dangers, and found her way out. This is Juliana today. Or 2021, I think that's from. Wow, okay. Mm -hmm. So she's... About 70? She's born in 54, so she's turning 70 next year. Next year, Mm -hmm. okay. Wow. And that, my friends, was the story of Lanza Flight 508 and Juliana Kepka. It's quite a miracle for our our miracle Mm 7. 
And I thought it was especially appropriate because it happened on Christmas Eve. Yes. And then into New Year. Like, this time, 52 years ago, uh, well, let's see, we're recording today on the 22nd. Tomorrow is 52 years from her prom. Yeah. That's so, nuts. yeah, this was all happening Yeah, right around this time, 52 years ago. That's crazy. It, it's just absolutely wild. It is one of those circumstances of this is the one person who could have survived and she was on that plane and she lived and she, it happened. She survived. Just to me, having the memory of being separated from the plane, like mm-hmm. falling into... I didn't leave the plane, the plane left me. Right. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. And she's had not, like, she has had nightmares. Oh, of course. And of course, I'm sure there's yes. plenty. She is, she, in the, the documentary, she does come across as very stoic and Werner Herzog, like, comments on that. It, I'm sure at least partially due to, like, survival yeah. <laughs> mechanism, you know, but, um, uh, also, I think a lot of it is just, like, she seems like a really practical person and is just... I love that when she, like, speculating on how she was able to survive the fall. Like, I think a lot of people would have been like, God was watching me over me that day. And she's like... That's true. So the aerodynamics. Yeah. And, you if, know? Yeah. If, certainly if... The, yeah. Like, this if, is a if person this, of if science. This, if the same crash had happened, like, in America, like, oh, it would have been... Yeah. Yeah. I, and hey, you know when when those people do spout that, you know why not? Whatever, let them let them have that belief. I, if that's I think what they that believe. if it, if it help, whatever helps you. Right. At that point, you you deserve whatever you need. Right, but as uh, non-religious people ourselves, like no, it wasn't God. It was like aerodynamics, aerodynamics which and, she recognizes. <laughs> yeah, and luck, and yeah, I mean timing, and yeah, yeah. all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't. It wasn't some be. It wasn't. It wasn't the, an angel. It wasn't. It, it might have been the force. The force is real. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, but I mean, it's it'd be hard to go through something like that and not think that. Yeah. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. But I don't. But it does. I. It doesn't strike me that these people were ever religious to begin with. So no, maybe I, never, I don't get that impression either. It, maybe it never even crossed her mind. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. She's looking at it specifically from like a practical yeah. sense. Mm-hmm. Of how she survived. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and but regardless, like, it's still... It, it is a well-known phenomenon. We've discussed this. Um, like, soul survivorship is a... It's very tough. Is a mentally, mentally. tough situation. Even, even not soul survivorship. You're right. You're absolutely... Just surviving. Yes. There, um, I, I, have an, I have a friend who um, went through cancer... And then went into remission and is fine and has been for years. And he has said, like, he still carries survivor guilt from mm-hmm. that. He's like, this kills people every day and I survived. And why is that? Like, that's, that is a mm-hmm. mentally tough thing to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes the answer is, well, because the aerodynamic, you know, just just because it's not, it, just because of circumstances. And that can be scary, too, because then you realize... We're all here because of circumstances. Yeah. That kind of reminds me, I can't remember the name of the movie, um, but it had Seth Rogen, this is dealing with cancer, not dealing with falling out of a plane. (laughs) Um, It had Seth Rogen in it and the other guy whose name I can't remember. Um, Hamas Franco? No, it's, no, not one of, not one of like the normal people. Um, He's, it's a three, 
Pineapple word, Express? Worded. No, no. The guys. It's not. I, I keep wanting to Thomas say. Thomas Hayden Church. No. I keep wanting to say Mark, Mark Paul Gosler, but that's not it. <laughs> How many three names uh, can we think of? There's quite a few. But, uh. So the, the guy's character is going through. The name of the movie is 50 50. I think the name oh, of it okay. is. But Seth Rogen's friend of the movie is diagnosed with cancer, and mm-hmm. so he hangs out with him while he, while he's having his dialysis with like. You mean chemo or whatever? Mm-hmm. With like three or four other people are in the room, right? Uh-huh. Cancer, all they, having the same thing. Yeah, from what I understand, that's kind of what they do. Yeah, it's fairly normal. And then he shows up the next week, and like two of the people are gone, and he's, oh, he's like, yeah. he's like, well, where'd they go? And the other patient's like, they're they're gone. Right. And he's like, what do you mean? He's like, they, they're gone. They, Past, yeah. yeah, and he's sitting there like realizing, feel, yeah, yeah, that this is uh-huh. not, this isn't like some just. He's in the same chair, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. So yeah, uh-huh. it's sad, and I mean this whole thing is sad. I mean it, 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 it is. There is a, none of these a people real... had to lose their no, lives. It's of it was, <laughs> it was capitalism again. Yeah, um, and also a little bit of pilot error, not. Thinking that you're going to get right. through it instead of being like, you know what? But having the pressure, which was capitalism. Right. On it. So, so like, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, it, it is really, this is, a, this is an intense miracle. It, it also goes back to, like, that, that one scene in Alive where they're, they're sitting there talking about, well, are we really going to have to eat, like, the people that right. are mm-hmm. gone? And the one guy's like, I can't, I don't think I could ever mm-hmm. look at my mother again. Like, right. what is she going to say? And the other guy's like... You well, I, well yeah. I think she'd like to have you back alive. Right. She's like, I think she'd prefer that. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. But, I, and then I love that she's like, I mean, I feel like Juliana would have gone on to do exactly the what amazing she stuff she did regardless. Mm-hmm. She's from uh, amazing types of people, right? Her parents were both remarkable people mm-hmm. there was basically zero chance she was going to be unremarkable like she was going right. to be remarkable regardless of whether this happened to her or not i do love that she kind of carried on her parents legacy mm-hmm. with this conservation i think that's that's really great and she's um and, and i love that <laughs> she's like it's not the jungle's fault i fell into it no. you know there's nothing in her that makes her feel like the setting is traumatic, right? Just that, like, it's probably like, this is my home. This yeah. is where I grew up. Yeah. So. Hmm. Yeah. Crazy. Well, a miracle said, nonetheless. Yes, indeed. So that was Lance of Flight 508 and Yuliana Kepka. This has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. Have a Merry Christmas. And to all a good night. Yes. <laughs>